Welcome to Musicians vs. the World, the podcast where we discuss music and musician life and aspects of those things that may not have come up in music school. I am your host, pianist Christine Smith, and with me, I'm so excited, I have two guests, two amazing musicians, flautist Christina Hughes, who is a new member of the President's Own Marine Band, and trombonist Tanner Antonetti of the Virginia Symphony Orchestra. They're here to share their stories and to talk about all sorts of things from auditions to making it work with two musicians being married to each other. So Tanner and Christina, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Christina, congratulations on the new position. Thank you so much. Now, when do you actually start that? I enlisted about a week and a couple days ago. And after enlistment, then there's 30 days to relocate to Washington, D.C. Um, and I'm going to start reporting on the 28th. But I, from what I understand, the first four to six weeks is in-house training. So since the musicians in the presence on Marine Band don't have to go to basic training, um, those initial weeks are to learn all of the rules, you know, in the military and in the Marines, because that's definitely something super foreign to me. Um, and I think it's also time for tailoring of the uniform. There are a lot of uniforms, apparently, <laughs> for performing. <laughs> um, but that's basically what the first six weeks will be. And then I'll be able to start playing with the band. Um, and I think they they put you to work right away. So You just jump right in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, for people who've never heard of it, can you explain what the President's Own Marine Band is? Sure. So I think that's also a lot of what I'll be learning in the first six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be teaching me the history of the band. Um, they did send me this very large handbook um, that I've only read a little bit of. But basically, um, the President's Own Marine Band is, it was the military band meant for music for the president. That's its sole purpose. Um, for a, a while, John Philip Sousa was actually the music director of the band, and he really brought the band into its prominence. And I think he was the one who gave it that title, the president's own. Um, and he made sure that the band was touring a lot to, uh, I think, just give it more notoriety. And currently, it's I think it's one of its the military band, the Marine band that is only in Washington, D.C., and then they do take a tour once a year in the fall to a different part of the United States. Um, but otherwise, they don't tour regularly like there are other military bands that do that on a regular basis. And from what I understand, they do the ceremonial duties like playing funerals for people who are very high up in the military or in the government and also provide music at the White House for different events and holiday things. So yeah, it's basically all those all those things and inauguration, the 4th of July parade, presidential parades in the summer. Wow. That's a very unique and fun opportunity. Yeah, I'm excited. It's definitely um honestly, it isn't a position that I thought I would ever have or I it's not a path that I think is made known very much in music school, right? at least in the music schools I went to, there's just so much more focus on orchestra and orchestral playing and not necessarily any sort of wind ensembles. Although the Marine Band does have a chamber orchestra too that I will rotate in and out of. Oh, okay. um, as I got older, I had more friends who were becoming members of other military bands. And 
especially in light of the pandemic, it was only until then I realized that this is a very secure and stable position, especially yeah. to perform music. And in this country, in the United States, it's like the only sort of state-sponsored musical groups, which is more of the norm in Europe versus mm. here. So I think it is an option that more musicians should know about when they're in school. So you found out about it from other friends joining bands? I found out about this band first from really because they put their auditions in the union paper, the musicians union paper Mm -hmm. um, called the international musician. And so I think about 10 years ago, they had a flute audition and that was when I was starting taking orchestra auditions. And at the time my dad was like, my parents are musicians. And my dad was like, you have to audition for this band. It's so wonderful. Like I have friends that play there. They're all amazing musicians and they love the job. You have to audition. And I, I, I think maybe it was like the third audition I ever took. And I didn't, you know, I didn't advance. It was, that was a long time ago. So I didn't remember anything about the audition process. So then when they posted the opening again this year, or it was at the end of last year, I was like, yeah, I should, I should take that audition. We're getting back into orchestra auditions. So yeah. Yeah. And you had more experience auditioning and kind of knew the process a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Although their process is different. It was a little bit different from other orchestra auditions I've taken. Um, how so I'd say the, I never did more sight reading ever in an audition than I did for the band, because I guess that's a really important skill for them to have because they play a lot of music Mm -hmm. and on very little rehearsal and they're constantly rotating the program. So if you are good at sight reading, it's really important. And then I had to sight read with people in the band in the final round. And I've never had to sight read before. Sometimes they'll give you like, here's ensemble round music for the final round. Um, So that was a unique experience too. Wow. So did that throw you for a loop or was it like, did they tell you beforehand that you were going to be doing that? Um, usually when you arrive, they tell you the list of excerpts that you'll be playing in the room. Mm -hmm. And I remember they only told us the list, I think like 10 minutes before we went into the room. Um, (laughs) and I didn't know about the sight reading either. I mean, from the list they already prepared. Um, and then I didn't know, usually for orchestra auditions, it'll say sight reading may be required, but they almost (laughs) never do it. I've only sight read one other time and the many auditions I've taken. Um, So that was really a surprise. And then especially the, like I said, reading new music with people in the band was a different experience for me too. Yeah. Did you like it or was it like not fun? It wasn't fun in the first few (laughs) rounds because I, like the very first round sight reading was very hard. I don't even know what piece it was. Uh I think it was like a band piece by Rimsky-Korsakov. So I was just like kind of stumbling through I was, I was thinking, are you kidding me? And like, I think maybe it took too long to look it over before playing. So I don't really remember what happened. But then in the final round, um, I felt, I think, just more comfortable. I was excited to play with other people because I like doing that. And I feel like it's a good way to show a strength of ensemble playing. Yeah. So I felt much more relaxed in the final round to do that. But otherwise in the beginning, I was like, I don't know what happened, but I guess it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone else was struggling too. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Yeah. Best of luck to you in that new adventure. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. It's really, 
it's crazy to think about how it's this big life change, especially since we're just doing the one step at a time. But we're, I think we're both really excited to live in a bigger city and get to know DC. I don't really know it at all. Right. Yeah. So Tanner, you have had a really interesting career as well. From looking at your bio, you have done jazz, you've done recording, you've worked a lot in Nashville, and now you're in the Virginia Symphony. How, is, how has your journey been? Uh, it's It's been interesting. My my mom was a band director growing up, So uh, and Christina's dad's a band director too. So I did band in, in, in school. I wasn't sure that I wanted to do performance coming out of high school. I didn't really... Mm-hmm have like big college aspirations or like top colleges that I wanted to go to. Um, and I heard about Middle Tennessee State, which has a huge recording industry program. Um, mm-hmm. I heard about them first because of their trombone teacher, David Lauke. And then he kind of showed me this new program that they had called Music Industry, which is kind of a watered down performance degree with an incorporated minor in recording industry management. And that oh, okay. minor, at least at the time, you could really tailor it to what you wanted. It wasn't super specific. You had to take a couple of intro courses, but then you could really make it your own. So at that point, by the time I got into college, I was realizing that I did want to do performance. So I did all the things a performance major would do, but I also was able to take copyright law and publishing law and audio fundamentals and some recording tech classes, um, which was really, really interesting. And especially the copyright and publishing classes were probably some of the hardest classes I took ever. But yeah, and and being in the Nashville, near the Nashville area, it's in Murfreesboro. I just had a ton of opportunities to freelance in a wide variety of settings. I mean, obviously you have Nashville, you have kind of the, the bars and, but there's a lot of, cultural things happening. There's an amazing jazz scene in Nashville. Um, Mm -hmm. You have the Nashville Symphony, you have the Nashville Ballet. There's just a lot going on. I didn't go into living in Tennessee thinking, oh, I'm going to have so many opportunities here. Um, But it kind of worked out that way. So it really was amazing. Yeah. And then, of course, so after that, I went to Rice for my master's in Houston, was there. Christina moved to Houston. We stayed there for another year after that. And then we actually moved in with her parents in 2017 thinking we don't really love Texas weather. So we'll, we'll <laughs> move in with our parents near New York with plans to kind of get into the freelance scene in New York, but also take auditions still. I see. And uh, about like two months, two months into later, it. the Virginia symphony had an audition and I, I could drive to it. So I thought, okay, like I'll take this audition. Um, and I, you know, I worked hard and worked out and it was very surprising and kind of threw our plans up in the air a little bit. Oh. <laughs> But also I was going to say when you were at Rice, going to Rice was like a really big shift from MTSU for undergrad because I think first in the kind of in the opportunities, because in Houston, there actually aren't as many a variety of opportunities for playing as there are in Nashville. Uh-huh. And then also the Rice Shepherd School of Music is so focused on orchestral playing. Like that's uh-huh. the specialty. Anyone who's looking at Rice for any degree, they know that orchestra, like if you ask almost anyone in school there, what they want to do, it's playing an orchestra. Basically, mm-hmm. I think 100% of students, it's safe to say, would say that. Yeah, it's very, I mean, and that's that's why I chose to go to Rice because at MTSU, actually, funny enough, as Christina's joining this incredible band, I really cut my teeth on wind ensemble rep because at MTSU, the wind ensemble was like the flagship group. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so I really came into my own as, a, as an ensemble musician with when ensemble rep. And so when thinking about my masters, I wanted like, I need orchestra work. I need to kind of get more into that realm than I, than I've been able to in my undergrad. So uh, yeah, while I was at MTSU, you know, I did freelance in the orchestral world in Nashville and Chattanooga and some places in Alabama. Um, but I, I, that was definitely something that I really needed high level uh, training on yes. that I, that I didn't get to the degree that I would knew I was going to get at Rice. Yes. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So you two met at Rice, right? Because Christina, you went to Yale, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like Southern boy, Northern Yankee girl. It's how yeah, did you guys end up together? <laughs> so we, yeah, our meeting story is interesting. You can, you want to start or should I start? I feel like I always try to tell it more succinctly, but it never happens. Basically, <laughs> I was at Yale for my master's and I really loved it there. And I um, I always liked helping out with auditions just at any school that I would I was at at the time. So it, I was working the auditions and I met a friend for dinner who was auditioning and it was just at this pizza place. It's kind of a legendary Yale pizza place. It's not open anymore. It closed during the pandemic, but um, it's called Wall Street Pizza and I never ate there. I thought it was gross, but like everyone, <laughs> from, everyone from the school music would go, or like if you were in the law school, you go because it was right there on yeah. campus and by both of those schools. So um, I met my friend there, and I was going to leave. I didn't enjoy someone else at our table, and I was like, "I'll wait for you outside." And I saw someone eating alone with an instrument, and I was like, "Oh, are you auditioning for the school of music?" It was Tanner. And basically we talked for a little bit and then I was like, why are you eating here? Who would eat? That's what my thought was like, you must be staying nearby. And he was like, no, I'm not staying nearby. I'm staying in Milford. And I was like, oh my God. So you drove here. And he was like, no, I didn't drive. And I was like, did you take a cab? That must've been so expensive. <laughs> and so then I told him he should take the Metro North train because it's probably only like a dollar. And I was telling him how to do that. And then um, and then he found me on Facebook the next day because there happened to be a video of the Yale flute studio on but the website. The music it wasn't website. quite so simple. I, I only knew her first name. So I just Googled Christina flute <laughs> Yale. And luckily there was a flute studio like promotional video that but I they found. Just, and they it, just there was a little caption with her last name. So I was able to do some stalking and found her on Facebook. So he sent me a message saying thank you. And then, um, and then basically a few months later, I, I was at home for spring break and I, this was back when I would go on Facebook, right? I don't go on anymore. He was on Facebook chat and I asked him, you know, what happened with the auditions. And he said he got into Yale, but then he said he got into Rice too. And I thought, oh, he's probably going to go there. And then a few months later, I found out we were both going to the Aspen music festival that summer. So oh. that was where we, You're you know, really I invited connected. him out with some friends and then we started dating there. And then yeah. we did long distance for a year. I still had another year, year at Yale. And then I moved to Houston after that. That is a very cute story. One yes. last little side note about the story was that he didn't end up being able to take Metro North. That night well, <laughs> well, as somebody from, I'm from Arkansas originally, and I went to school in Tennessee. There's no I, public transportation, there's no public transportation right. down there that's like, so she said, take Metro North. It'll be like, you know, $2 or something. So I look on my phone. My phone's about to die. I find the station and it's 
That's dark and it's in New Haven, which is not super safe. So I'm I'm just walking with my trombone and I don't know what I'm doing. So I get to the station, I go to the kiosk, I buy a ticket, and I'm looking around and no one's around. And I'm at the wrong station. And at this <gasps> point my phone has died, so I don't know how to get to the other station and he just so took I, a cab. Yeah, I found a cab. That was literally <laughs> my only option. So it worked out. Yeah. It works out. It works out. So now that you're married and you're both orchestral musicians, I would love to hear how you're going to make this work because it's just the world of orchestra. It seems like the career path is you just continue to audition for a bigger and bigger orchestra. How do you do that when you have two people doing that career? How are you guys going to manage that? Well, I think from the time that I started in Virginia in 2018, I mean, Christina, she can talk more about this, but she's had unbelievable audition success and, and some really well, close, like calls with, close calls with really them. close calls with really, really big groups. You know, initially it was like, if you win a job with X orchestra, once you get tenure, I'll leave my job and I'll join you wherever, wherever you are. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily with the president's own, there's no tenure process. You're just in. So, oh. um, so I'm taking a year leave of absence from the orchestra next year and the the good thing about a place like DC is there's so much more opportunity for freelance work than in Norfolk. I mean, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, there's the Virginia Symphony and that's, you know, there's some little things, but, but that's really right. it. Yeah. Um, in DC, you have the DC metro area, you have Baltimore, you, you're, you're not right. that far away from a bunch of other big cities. So while we've been here, you know, Christina's mostly been elsewhere freelancing. Um, so mm. It's not worth it as much as I enjoy playing in the Virginia Symphony. It's not worth it for me to stay here while she's in D.C. because the Virginia Symphony is very busy. So there's no way that. Right. I mean, we would just be long distance again. And I don't I don't want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really came to discussing it with each other when he moved here to start the job at the Virginia Symphony. I was like, well, I can move there and see if I can sub sometimes with the orchestra. But. Because it's a smaller city with a smaller pool of subs, they Mm -hmm. kind of call the same. It's very typical of most orchestras. They call the same subs all the time. So I was pretty much just going anywhere. Like whoever would call me, I would go there. And then a lot of the work that I ended up having was in the New York City area. And like my parents live in New Jersey. They live really close to New York City. Uh So I would pretty much just go stay with them if I had to play in a city. Um, And I was fortunate enough to be in the final two for one of the New York Philharmonic associate principal flute position. So for a while after that, I was subbing with them on a pretty regular basis, um, pretty much up until the day, literally until the day that everything was canceled in New York because of the pandemic. Like I played the dress rehearsal and I was like, there's not going to be a concert tonight. And then everything was shut down. And so that was kind of a nice not as nice as it could be way for us to finally be spending like an inordinate amount of time together. (laughs) So I don't know. Well, like, you know, just we, I was able to come here um, and we were able to be together for a while. So it was a nice, it felt like a nice break at the time. And at the time I also did feel like it was a nice break from auditions because I'd been taking so many and I had trials and some orchestras and, so it was like, I really think I needed a break. I was feeling a little bit burned out from taking mm. auditions. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, Tanner does have a lot of other interests and talents right. um, within music. So cross genre in music and then also outside of music. And I definitely feel like 
my primary ambition for a long time has been to have a, a performance job playing music. Um, I think he was aware of that. And once I started making these bigger strides for some bigger orchestras, and I think like the one of the turning points is when I had a trial with the Philadelphia Orchestra for second flute, I think mm. he was like, oh, like, it's really possible that she could get a really big job, one that would be big enough to support both of us if he didn't have anything else really to do. And right. I think that's kind of the deciding factor then for a lot of musician couples. Mm-hmm. Um, if one of them is able to win a job that's big enough, that pays well enough to support more than one person, then that's going to be the deciding factor because it's just so hard right. to get a job yeah. in an orchestra and especially a top orchestra. And then even the handful of orchestras that pay enough um, for that to be your full-time job and you don't have to supplement your income in any other way. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say for the band, at least for the time being with him, I mean, I've discussed this with Tanner. I was like, if you are unhappy in your first year off from the Virginia Symphony and you really miss playing, like you should I don't want you to feel like you're missing out on something and you have this job that is waiting for you. Yeah. So I think we'll probably, you know, regroup and talk about it as the year goes on, because I know the first year trying to get freelance work when you're in a new city can be really, really difficult. Yeah. So Tanner, do you have any plans for how you're going to tackle that in a new city? Um, luckily, because of all the military bands in the area and the orchestras, and we have a, a ton of connections. I mean, like one of oh. one of my uh, a trumpet player, Anthony Bellino, who is in a quintet with me at Rice, joined the, the President's Zone right after we finished our master's. A tuba player from my quintet is in a band up there. Two trombone players from Rice are in bands up there. So we have a ton of connections, and I think that definitely helps a lot. I was just in the finals for a an audition with the Baltimore Symphony. Oh, wow. So that kind of is excellent timing in, in kind yeah. of hopefully introducing my name to some people. So, yeah, I think I'm very fortunate that Christina got a job in a place like D.C. where we, we do have so many connections already and there's a lot going on. So I'm not super worried. Uh, like Christina said, I have, especially during the pandemic, I'm obsessed with cooking now and with uh, <laughs> wine. And so I'm happy to be a cook. Well, <laughs> I meant, I meant like he also like I think Tanner is a better teacher than I am. Okay, and he has I think I feel like you have more teaching experience too. Like he's taught at two different colleges in this area, and then um, at least for now he does say like he can feel fulfilled doing music in other ways. Whereas I think for me, I'm like, no, I know that I can't feel as fulfilled unless I'm performing. I see that um, makes sense. But in D.C., I was going to say there's also like that yearly they have like these auditions for contractors in D.C. that contract all the, you know, performing opportunities there. Um, And that it's called showcase. But anyway, freelancers in the area can audition for all the contractors and then you can get your name on a bunch of sub lists. So and I think that it gives it a lot of it gives Tanner a lot of freedom that you're in that band because. From what I could see, the benefits are fantastic. So you don't have to worry about insurance. You don't have to worry about all of those things. So that gives you a lot of freedom that you can really, really be creative with what you do. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, when I joined the Virginia Symphony, I was just past the limit of being able to stay on my parents' health insurance. (laughs) So it was perfect. Um, But, you know, the health insurance and the the insurance plans that musicians are offered are very good. If Mm -hmm. I wanted to include Christina on the same health insurance that I'm on, it would be half of my salary. 
every month, basically. It's 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 almost wow. half. It's a it's a crazy amount. I mean, then that's just health insurance in this country. True. But the fact that you know, as soon as she's sworn in, we're both covered by the, these benefits. It's it's unbelievable. And and like she was saying, it it is really like the American equivalent of orchestras in Europe that are supported by the government because they believe they're important artistic institutions. So it's yeah. really. It's really amazing. Yeah, I feel I'm I'm really excited. <laughs> <laughs> the benefits, I think, I really didn't even know about the extent of them until after winning the job. And even also, like, if you stay in the band for 20 years, then you have those health care benefits for the rest of your life, including your spouse and your children. And oh I just goodness. thought, how could I not... Then how could I not stay for 20 years? Right. I mean, there's barely a handful of orchestras in this country that could compete with those kinds of lifetime right. benefits. I mean, I mean, the amount of money that you would have to make to ensure that you would have this amazing health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just crazy. So I, that's yeah. why people need to know about these benefits, like in music school, especially. I do think that basic training can turn off a lot of people. Um mm-hmm. I mean, it turns me off, which is why I've never auditioned <laughs> for any military band before. But I think that if you're able to do it, it's a really good option with a guaranteed raise yearly. Um, wow. So it's just like people should be considering it. They should. To have something that's so secure and that you can plan your life around it is so foreign to musicians, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I think, I mean, the two trombone players, uh, I'll say their names, Greg Hammond and Stephen Farrell, who were in the Navy and Army, I believe. They joined the bands basically right after uh, or shortly after finishing their masters at Rice. And to f- compare their pandemic experience, which is continue to get paid throughout the pandemic, and to compare <laughs> mine, which was the our orchestra furloughed us for eight months. And then we had back-to-back very difficult negotiations trying to negotiate our return to the stage. That sucked. That was terrible. Yeah. So the, the fact that it's not just like, you know, the benefits are great, stability. It's it's stability that no other arts organization can really compare. You know, right. it's, it's not, it, it's just on a whole other level. Well, really, congratulations to you both on that. Thanks. Thanks. I didn't do anything. <laughs> no, you supported her when, in a marriage that's so important, I think. And especially yeah. when you're in the same world, you know, you're both in the music world. I think that can be really hard sometimes to not compete with each other and to really support each other. And I think you guys are doing such a wonderful balance of everything. Oh. Thank you. Thanks. I would say I was going to give the credit to Tanner. <laughs> but he's always, I think, believed in me more than... I believed in myself just because that's been harder to do as I just having to keep going back and making yourself vulnerable and trying yeah. again and again. Um, so it's been much easier for me to doubt myself. Yeah. And um, I mean, the fact that we play different instruments, I think is a big, that helps a big thing too. But I will say that when Tanner first won the job here, I remember having this feeling the whole day. I was like, when he, the amount of times I was hearing back from him or he was like, oh, I advanced to the next round. I advanced to the next round. I was like, after he played in the finals, I wasn't hearing anything. And I was like, I think that he won the job because I <laughs> haven't heard anything from him. And I really did have mixed feelings about it because I yeah. remember I was like, well, we were supposed to move to New York and I don't, oh. I don't really want to move to Norfolk. Like what's there? Sorry. 
Well, I told him this at the time, but I mean, I Tanner's just, I think, better. Um, he's just better than me. He's more <laughs> understanding because it was really hard for me at the time. Yes. Um, just, yeah, because I was like, oh my God, I've taken more auditions than you. But we play, the, we play different. It's, it's very different. It's it different. is very, different. very different. Between flute and trombone, going into taking auditions and stuff, I mean... There are there are a lot of musicians out there. There are probably too many, too many musicians who are trying to get orchestra jobs because there are so few jobs in this country. Right. But there are a lot of trombone players. There are a billion flute players yes. trying to take auditions. And, That's very true. And like a lot of them can play all the notes and sound pretty good. Trombone players, I've said this, maybe maybe I shouldldn't say this, <laughs> but I've said this to Christina. If you can not miss notes on trombone. And you have a nice sound, and you're like tune in in time. somewhat musical. Like you can probably get work, but yeah. with flute, if you do that, you have to somehow separate yourself from the pack and get incredibly lucky. I mean, it's just it's, yeah, the field is so saturated; it's crazy. So, what um, what advice would you guys have for young ones that are wanting to join the ranks of all of the people who are auditioning at the moment? How do they? How should they approach their auditioning either mentally or what should they do before their auditions to prepare? I think both of us would say mental, mental preparation. Yeah. There is just no way around it. I think maybe back in the day, you know, especially with brass players, I, I hear stories of people joining these legendary orchestras like decades ago when like 10 people showed up to the audition. <laughs> that doesn't happen anymore. You know, you take a trombone audition for a big orchestra they're getting 200 resumes and they're, yeah. they're weeding it down to maybe 80 to 100 trombone players. And with flute, it's like triple that. Yeah. So nowadays you have to really, you can't afford to have like some mental slip up that keeps you from, from progressing in the audition. And so I, for this past audition in Baltimore, it's because of Christina's mental preparation for recent auditions that I decided to really, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on this equally to the physical stuff. And and it felt like a very different audition experience for me. Oh, really? Yeah. I will say at the time when he was getting ready, I kept telling him that he needed to prioritize the mental part because when you're in the middle of preparing, and I felt this too for other auditions that I had had recently, it's really easy to just put the mental preparation on the side because <laughs> Part for me, it's like, well, I'm still not going to feel good mentally unless I know, like, I practiced this, this, and this, and this today. So I'm going to focus on that first and getting that practice checklist done first. And then I can focus on, like, meditating for 10 minutes or doing a visualization of the audition. And, and it's really, it feels so hard to let go of, like, it's okay if you don't practice as much today if you prioritize the other mental right. part of it. Um, right. But once you start doing it, I think that you'll see that they help each other mm -hmm. um, in your in like the daily practice and preparation for the audition. And then especially on the day, um, I think that the first audition that I really prioritized mental preparation was. Um, so I had had a trial with Philadelphia Orchestra for the second flute position and I didn't get it. And then they had an audition for assistant principal and. The, I knew people in the wind section there, they liked me and they wanted me to audition. So they invited me to that audition, but I was going to start in a later round. And I remember thinking like, 
okay, I've played there for two weeks and I know some people in the orchestra and I really like them and I would love to have that job. And I was so worried that I was going to feel so emotional about it that that would affect how I could perform. And Um, so that was when I knew I really needed to prioritize the mental part of it. So um, that was the first time that I did the most mental preparation. And I I didn't get that job either. I was in the super finals for it. I know that the mental preparation I did was so, so important because it, it transforms even how you end up feeling when you play and the experience after reflecting back on how you think that you did. Um, so the mental part is, I think it's it has to be like a one-to-one ratio with your actual physical practice. And then, of course, I'd say the biggest thing for anyone who's younger, if you're practicing for anything, recording and listening is like the best thing that you can do because Mm. that'll help you cut down on the actual physical hours of practicing. The fact is when you're playing, your brain is already occupied with the playing aspect. You can only do so much to listen to hear what's actually happening. So if you are recording and listening like immediately, that's the other part. If you don't listen immediately, you're probably not going to because I never, I will record and not listen. So you have to listen (laughs) immediately. But um, while it can be a first really trying few days of very tedious practicing, it'll, the amount of progress you can make by doing that just for a few days, it can be cover like weeks of practice of not doing that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, you have to rip off the bandaid and do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun, but it really does help. What are some of the things that you do mentally? You you said meditation and you said visualizing. I'm a huge fan of visualizing. I think that's such an important thing. Was there any other exercises that either one of you do to mentally prepare? I think the the first time I like started visualizing was actually after I got here and Christina had the trial with Philly. I thought, oh my God, like, wow. Okay. So that inspired me like, okay, well I, I can, so the Met, uh, opera had a trombone audition. So I thought, okay, I'm going to really go all in. Like this is, I mean, that's arguably the biggest job in the country or one of the biggest jobs in the country and in mm-hmm. the world. I'm going to really go all in. And I remember reading, reading about Michael Phelps's preparation mm-hmm. and how his coach would have him like, he, I think he called it playing the tape. And he had yeah. all these different scenarios visualized, even like worst case scenario. And right. in one of the races where I think he got an Olympic record or a world record, his goggles like fell down as soon as he got in the water and they were filled with water. And he had visualized that exact scenario. And I remember thinking like, that's amazing. So I remember thinking, okay, what's worst case scenario going to take the, take the med audition. What's what happens. And I think, Oh, like I wake up with like a sore throat. Cause anytime you have a sore throat and you, if you're a wind instrument right. player, it's terrible. So I thought yeah. I wake up with a sore throat and I'm stuffed up and it's terrible. And I mean, I visualized other scenarios, but I, so I, I was in New Jersey staying with her parents before the audition. I went on a run the day before Boom, and I woke sore up, throat. sore throat, allergies, just like crazy. <laughs> I even, I called the audition, like the personal manager. And I said, I'm really sick. I can't play today. Can I play tomorrow? And they were like, I think we can move you. So I got up, Christina, like ran to CVS and got me some uh, day quill and I popped that and I started feeling better. And I was like, you know what? I can like, let's just go, let's do it. So I played, um, and I was able to like get through the round and, and it was fine. Yeah. Um, but that kind of thing, you can't really simulate what it's going to feel like right. on stage where when it's silent, you know, there are like 10 people behind a screen that are waiting to hear you. Yeah. You can't really totally 
recreate that sensation. But the more that you visualize, I think it, it, you just get way more accustomed to those kinds of things. And Christina, for this Baltimore audition I took, she prompted me, she kind of gave me a little exercise and you can tell sure. her. Tell her. But I think the biggest thing is you figure out what works for you. So right. for me, a lot of the time meditating, I'm, I get really sleepy. So <laughs> some, I, there are times when I try to meditate for like 15 minutes, I'd fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for me, I really just can't meditate for very long, but I think that even five minutes is, will make a difference. Uh So, um, and then finding what works for you. So I would say like, I would practice first, just trying to feel more relaxed. Mm. Um, but at the same time, when you're performing, you have to figure out like what intensity level you, that your body and mind can feel that where you think that you will play your best. Um, so because I've definitely had experience where maybe I'm too relaxed or I'm too energized. So Mm. you have to figure out what works best for you. Um, so you can think back to like one of some of your top performances where you felt the best. I think sometimes having like, a, I mean, I don't want to repeat what people must say all the time, but a mantra is really helpful or, um, especially for the shorter meditations. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I read like effortless mastery. So that has a lot, I've read a lot of books about this kind of mental preparation. So in that one, one of the mantras is I'm a master. So I feel like if you just reassure yourself, you know, you can play and I'm a master. Every note I play is beautiful. And then I personally would not worry about visualizing all of the worst case scenarios to me that just sounds really overwhelming like how can I be sure that I thought of all the bad things that could happen Mm -hmm. I would rather focus on spending time visualizing only the good things um, because I think that if you're I think if in my experience if I'm practicing visualizing having an effortless performance where I think everything sounds beautiful, I'm able to do everything I want to do, and I'm just enjoying how I sound in the hall, Mm -hmm. then I think I'm more likely to experience that. So I feel it more truly about the, the, whatever you're visualizing more will be what happens. (laughs) So I just wouldn't do the, I wouldn't worry about. (laughs) I stress you out too much. Yeah. 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 You definitely have to find what works for you. Yeah, I, that's one of the biggest things with auditioning, and that's what the mental preparation is too, just trusting yourself, because um, what it really comes down to is if you trust yourself, you trust your instincts, if you feel the best about what you're doing and what you plan to do or you know whatever kind of musician you are, for me, that would give me the most confidence. Like You trust your judgment, and you just go in there and show them what you have, because mm-hmm. You can't worry about anyone else. I never ask for comments after an audition because I don't know who would be giving me those comments or if I would necessarily agree with like the Tanner's uh-huh. laughing, but I would, I don't know. What if they're like, oh, I love this person's playing blah, blah, blah. And I would listen and think I don't like it at all. So uh-huh. I never ask for comments. <laughs> I know I would also drive myself crazy with the comments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but just like having the whole trust in yourself I think will give you the most confidence to present your best self. And that's all you have control over. And so then I think it would be easier to also let anything else go because you just thought I did what I thought I could do. That's fantastic. Fantastic advice. You both are just amazing. 
I've loved speaking with both of you. Thank you so much for making the time. I know you're so busy. You're in the middle of a move. You're changing jobs, figuring out what you're going to do. So I really appreciate you coming and talking with me. Of course, of course. Yeah. So Christina and Tanner, best of luck to you in the future. I hope that you'll keep in touch and let us know how you're doing. And thanks so much for for joining me today. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thank you to Christina Hughes of the President's Own Marine Band and Tanner Antonetti of the Virginia Symphony Orchestra for sharing their time, their stories, and their advice with us today. If you'd like to learn more about either musician or the wonderful musical organizations where they work, you can find more information in our show notes on our website, frostedlens.com slash musicians versus the world. In today's episode, you've heard The Gladiator and Stars and Stripes Forever by John Philip Sousa, performed by the United States Marine Band, directed by Jason Fettig. And as Christina mentioned, John Philip Sousa was the Marine Band's 17th leader, where he served as director for 12 years under five presidents. During his time there, the Marine Band made their first recordings, went on their first Marine Band tour, and the band was shaped into its current high level of excellence and his baton is now traditionally passed to the new director of the Marine Band during change-of-command ceremonies. The recording you are hearing was shared with a Creative Commons attribution license from IMSLP. Musicians vs. the World is hosted and edited by me, Christine Smith, and our producer is Russ Wilkes. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss out on any future conversations. Also, if you're more of a visual person and are interested in seeing our faces, you can now find us on YouTube on our Musicians vs. the World YouTube channel. And if you want to help us reach more people that may be interested in today's topic, share this episode with them or leave us a nice review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you need to reach us, we'd love to hear from you and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook or send us an email at info at Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.